Welcome to the Technology Acquisition Center podcast, which we affectionately call TAC Talks. Join us as we discuss highly relevant and compelling acquisition topics with highly esteemed industry professionals and attempt to share information with you, the 1102 workforce, program officials, and our contractor friends. We hope that you find these topics and discussions helpful. So turn up the volume on your earbuds and get ready for TAC Talks. Hello, friends, and thank you for joining me today for TAC Talks. My name is Chuck Ross, a service director at the Department of Veterans Affairs Technology Acquisition Center. We have an exciting episode for you today regarding how the veteran stays in the forefront of the requirements development process under a recently awarded contract here at the TAC. It is called the Customer Experience Development Operations and Agile Releases Indefinite Delivery, Indefinite Quantity Contract, or as we affectionately call it here at the TAC, CEDAR. On March 29, 2021, the Technology Acquisition Center awarded four spots to service-disabled veteran-owned small business vendors on the $247.3 million CEDAR IDIQ contract for commercial application development. The contract was a 100% set-aside for service-disabled veteran-owned small businesses and serves as a streamlined, enterprise-wide contract vehicle that will provide VA access to vendors specializing in agile design and delivery services, including user-centered design, user research, product management, agile software development, application programming interfaces or API development, automated testing, cloud infrastructure design and management, continuous integration, continuous delivery, and DevOps. The Cedar contract vehicle allows for agile delivery services to be delivered in a rapid cycle fashion in accordance with industry best practices. In addition, it supports the execution of multiple VA digital modernization efforts by providing VA a simplified method to add specific and specialized commercial capabilities to these efforts as needed. So I'm here today with Mr. Jeffrey Barnes, the Deputy Digital Experience Product Line in the Office of the Chief Technology Officer, Mr. David Melton, who's a contract specialist here at the Technology Acquisition Center, and Mr. Joshua Cohen, who's the contracting officer at the Technology Acquisition Center responsible for awarding the CEDAR contract. So thank you for joining me today, gentlemen, and welcome to season three of TAC Talks. Jeff, I'd like to start with you. So we understand that the CEDAR IDIQ is primarily focused on building digital services and products for veterans and their families. So can you please talk to us about the concept behind the CEDAR contract? Sure. Thank you for having me on, Chuck. Uh, I'm glad to have a chance to talk about CEDAR as it was a long road getting to this point, and we have a lot of optimism about what we're going to be able to accomplish here. So as many uh, listeners are probably familiar, there have been some difficulties with building digital services in the government space. And uh, in the Obama era, the U.S. Digital Service was founded uh, in response to some issues with healthcare.gov. So the idea was that we could find a way to continuously rotate private sector talent into the government to help keep us up to date. So we had a digital service team at VA trying to solve some tough veteran-facing challenges, including applying for benefits and seeing your claim status. And our government contractor teams, they, they try to follow the digital services playbook, which follow, uh, focuses on software development, using the agile methodology, user-centered design, and a DevOps delivery model. Uh, 
So we wanted to create a niche space that gave those vendors the opportunity to really narrowly focus on that way of working. And we were looking for vendors that focused on user outcomes, on quickly shipping minimum viable products, instead of a more traditional IT model of building to requirements with longer development phases uh, before anything goes live to the public. So Cedar was intended to be a consistent way for the government to ask those vendors to follow Agile principles and allow that user feedback to influence and shape the final products. Cedar is all about veterans, right? I mean, you have your SDVSB set aside, so the companies are service-disabled veteran-owned businesses. And it's my understanding that you take the viewpoints of veterans and keep them in the center and forefront as you're developing these products under this contract. Is, is that right? Can you expound upon that? Yeah, absolutely. And you're correct about this being an SDVOSB set aside. Um, and one of the things that we specifically focus on at VA is what we call our digital modernization vision. And that basically says that we want to provide veterans and their families self-service tools that are on par with some of the top private sector companies. And we want to have the best online experience in the federal government. Now, as you can see, that's an ambitious vision, uh, but we've kept some principles in mind that we follow on a more daily basis to make sure that we're shipping products that veterans want and need. So for example, every VA service, we wanted to have a single high quality digital version uh, designed with direct input from users. We want those services to be accessible, to be reliable and to be secure. Uh, and whenever possible, we want those services to actually be personalized to the individual that's using them so that they can see what VA knows about them already. We also want to make the account holder experience good by having them be able to access multiple services without having to sign in again or create new accounts. So in order to accomplish this, we follow a robust user research practice uh, that gets early designs into the hands of the veterans uh, to test out. And then we iterate on those designs. We build functional prototypes. And then researchers like myself can take that to the medical center or wherever else and uh, test it on a phone or a laptop with a real user. So finally, when we launch those products, we send them quickly to live sites so that only a small percentage of our total population sees them. That allows us to experiment on the approaches and figure out which ones lead to the best outcomes. One example of this approach that we've applied in the past was we had a small team that built a product called Vets.gov that allowed veterans to apply for a few benefits. And then we decided to launch it to all veterans on VA.gov, and we simultaneously allowed them to sign into that tool with their other existing VA credentials. So VA is a big place, but veterans, they think about it as one organization. So we strive to make their experiences with the digital tools reflect that. That's great. And when you go out and you do the user-centered design, are you going out into the, the open public with that and getting veterans or are you going to facilities? Or if I'm a veteran listening here today and I am interested in taking part in some of these type of things, is there an opportunity for me to, to do that? Yes, absolutely. We have ways for uh, veterans to reach out and to join. We actively do recruiting on a lot of uh, social media platforms for uh, user research. And we also have teams of researchers that are employed uh, by the VA as either staff or contractors that go to medical centers and uh, other locations owned by VA in order to find and interact with, with users. Thanks, Jeff. We have a large veteran listening audience, so I think they'll find that information useful. Now, switching over to the contracting side of this uh, contract, uh, Josh Cohen was the contracting officer that awarded this. And as part of the contracting approach, Josh, I understand that you use several novel or innovative approaches to this contract. Can you describe some of those for us? Great. Thank you, Chuck. And, and yes, absolutely. 
And I think the first point I'd make was any novel or innovative approach we used was specifically intended to solve a, a kind of known challenge. So it wasn't necessarily that we kind of ventured off on this with the intent of, of just trying a bunch of stuff for the sake of trying it. I think we looked at anything novel, or if you want to use the word innovative that we did, um, as, a, as a means to try to solve some of the challenges that, that Jeff had just discussed uh, related to building digital you know, modernized digital products in the government space. Um, so some of those issues, as, as he mentioned, were um, kind of the uniqueness of the work to the government, um, the kind of smaller companies that tend to work on it and that are, are fairly new to the government market and the kind of normal barriers to entry and challenges that a company like that would face when trying to do business with the government. And then obviously the, the kind of technical difficulties that come along with the work in general and just making sure that if we were going to put the time and effort into looking for firms that could do this work well, um, that we came up with you know, evaluation techniques that allowed that to be made clear during the process and obviously heavily weigh on the award. So how do we go about doing that? So the first thing we did was to uh, utilize a, a fairly unusual basis for award called the highest technically rated with a fair and reasonable price. Uh, which had been used a few times by the GSA and, and by a few other agencies, but normally with something they call the self-service model or self-scoring model, uh, whereas we, we did it a more traditional way with agitable rating. So we, we did do it a little differently. But the, the basics of that is, as, as opposed to making a trade-off between price and technical, we made a ranking based solely on technical and non-price factors, since, since obviously, as we discussed, this is very technically challenging work, and we really wanted to make sure we had the right kind of vendor. Uh, and then handle price as a second step based on that ranking. So once a, a parent set of winners had been chosen, then, then pricing was checked, and then only to uh, review it as fair and reasonable. Uh, and, and how that was done was by a comparison to rates uh, that were provided with the solicitation. So there was no guessing on the part of industry as to what a fair and reasonable rate would be. Uh, and that helped us avoid some of the gaming that I think can happen on IDIQs where prices are bid without there necessarily being a promise of delivery at that level. Uh, and that can sometimes skew an award decision to lower price as opposed to the technical chops. After that, I think the next most important thing we did was uh, what we call an advisory down select. So obviously we're talking smaller firms that are kind of new to the process, maybe wouldn't have the type of proposal and legal stats that some companies have. And we wanted to try to use a process that helped them either move forward if it looked like they had a reasonable chance of winning, but if not, give them that information quickly and let them make it a kind of informed decision as to the, whether they wanted to move on. And that is referred to as an advisory down select uh, and is a little different from like a competitive range where we're not telling them there's a cut. We're giving them information on their chances moving forward and then letting them make a decision. And obviously the advantage to that is they're choosing to remove themselves. We're not actually kicking anybody out. Uh, and that worked well. And again, saves a lot of smaller firms that really didn't necessarily have a reasonable chance after the first round of case studies, uh, which we'll discuss in a minute. And uh, again, I think really supported small businesses and helped them avoid some unnecessary costs. Uh, we also allowed for, in that first round, there was a, something of a past experience evaluation that was done via case studies, and we allowed for commercial experience. So again, these are vendors that maybe haven't had a ton of experience in the government. This is still work that is fairly novel here, uh, and that allowed for them to use the work they had maybe done in the commercial marketplace that was very similar and, and still get the same credit as if it had been done in the government. And I think the last important point to make that we, we really intentionally went out with to try to incentivize like a smaller uh, smaller veteran-owned small businesses that, that are a little newer to the market, which was to limit the size of the orders um, to only $10 million. And that was based on a lot of market research and conversations with small businesses about like how much work would be too intimidating for them to take on. I think they were a little worried about having to take on a huge thing that was just outside the scope of a company and that would have dissuaded them from bidding. 
by limiting the size of the orders, you know, I think that that puts a certain cap on the risk to them of what they would be asked to take on. Uh, and again, we were we were told through through some informal channels that certainly helped, and there were definitely firms who probably would have been a little intimidated by a larger contract, and that aspect of it was a big big part of them coming in on us. So, so you had, I mean, you had a lot of stuff going on here. I mean, you, just to recap, you had the highest technically rated proposal that was determined fair and reasonable, reasonably priced. That That is a novel concept in and of itself. Um, I don't even think that it would be new to a business that's traditionally done business with the federal government as well. So that's that's really an interesting uh, evaluation technique that you used. And then the advisory down select, we're seeing more of that, uh, at least at the, the VA TAC. Um, so that that's very interesting. Now, was there any uh, lessons learned or growing pains from that or you know, for our other agency contracting officers that are out there, um, you know, is there any tips that you could offer them with respect to that technique? Because it is, it is rather innovative. Absolutely. Uh, and I think you could probably make a whole episode just on kind of lessons learned and, and like anything you kind of do for the first time, there's lots of stuff you probably would have done differently. But I think the big lesson learned is Make sure you're careful with what you ask for, that you, you, you know, remember that you're, you don't need to ask for the whole world, but you want to ask for enough that it's meaningful. So there's kind of a balance you strike um, be, be, between those two things um, and just being really clear, like through your market research phases and through your requirements documents, what are we looking for in terms of a technical ranking? Because, uh, again, it's a different mindset for the vendors between you know, it's not like we're not looking for the best value of the government, but we're defining that purely based on technical. So they they then have to go out and, and think that same way of wow, what's what's the best put I foot foot I can put forward technically, um, as opposed to to really like focusing on how can I get the price down, right? We, we we expect that to happen at the task order level where we drive competition and we ask for price discounts. I mean, obviously this is just to establish the vehicle base vehicle and then their orders that are then negotiated where that happens. So. We, we did a good job at it, but I think more and more of that is 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 uh, would be good in the future just to really hammer home those points. Right. And, and there's often this misconception out there that the only fair and reasonable price is the rock bottom price offered. And, you know, Jeff, you probably were happy to see an evaluation approach where it was considering the highest rated technical proposals right off the bat because, you know, you as a program manager want to see success for your program. And, um, you know, you want to you want to be have the opportunity to, to award to those types of companies. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Just getting to a point where we can really use technical qualification as the biggest discriminator when we select a company is very challenging almost everywhere in the government. And being able to get to that point on this acquisition made all the difference in terms of being able to select those vendors that really met the highest standard um, across the board. So now we'll shift to uh, Dave. Now, Dave's the contract specialist, and all of us in contracting know that the contract specialist is the one that really makes all this this work, and that's where all the work's done, right, Dave? <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes. no, that's right. Great. So, Dave, um, as the contract specialist, you were intimately involved uh, with assisting the technical evaluation team, I'm sure, through the evaluation process. So can you describe the overall evaluation approach and how the process considered uh, the veteran experience. I believe I am of the understanding that you guys concentrate on the veteran experience a bit in your tech eval. Is that right? So, yeah, Chuck. Uh, so for our first technical factor, we requested case studies be submitted. Uh, each offer was to provide up to three case studies covering three of the 13 senior functional areas, including agile software development, user research and user story collaboration, and DevOps. Offers were also required to provide up to nine artifacts 
and each of the three functional areas needed to be covered in at least one artifact. The case studies evaluated the government's competence and the offer's ability as evidenced by the past experience and expertise identified within each case study, as well as all artifacts provided with the case studies to perform the work in the performance work statement. And as Josh previously discussed, each offer was sent an advisory notification with their respective confidence rating and given the opportunity to remain or withdraw from the competition. You then provided them with their, your advice as to uh, the likelihood that they would be selected for an award or not and advised them you know, accordingly. Um, I mean, personally, I think that's a great thing for industry just so they're not uh, sinking costs uh, into chasing a requirement that there's a high unlikelihood that that they would be selected for. So, all right. So that was step one. Now, was that the end of step one? Yeah. So uh, okay. once they uh, received their uh, advisory notification, uh, they had the option to either, you know, stay in the uh, competition or or withdraw as uh as previously stated. Uh, so then the second technical factor was a six business day remote design challenge based around a fictional but potentially real world scenario for the creation of a proof of concept design for veterans to check in to the COVID-19 vaccine clinic. The goal of the scenario provided was to conduct a single design sprint consisting of a non-evaluated scenario and test session on day one sprint planning session on day two to dialogue with the product owner and sprint demonstration and team retrospective on day six to present their proof of concept design and interactive live retrospective. Successful okay, so, offer. Yeah, no, so, so step two then was the the challenge. And now did that, that was kind of, you, you basically said, okay, go, you're now in the challenge, and then they had six days to work independently, or were there different check-in points after those those days where the government uh, kind of followed the progress? So there was the, there was the initial uh, day, day one uh, test step, uh, which was uh, an unevaluated step, and then there was the, the second day's step, which they were able to dialogue with the product owner. And then on the sixth day, then they came back and presented their proof of concept design. And Very did good. the interactive live uh, retrospective. And Very then good. after, uh, so the successful offerers conducted user research by engaging with actual veterans and other key stakeholders as part of the process. Based on uh, your question, uh, although veterans' experience was considered throughout the process, it was front and center in the remote design challenge. Very good. So no, I, I understand that now uh, much better, uh, having you walk me through that. And uh, that was a very uh, complex, but it, it does make sense. Uh, it has a good common sense evaluation approach to it. Um, now, so Josh, can you further discuss the remote design challenge and how it helped the evaluation team ensure contractors are able to incorporate veteran feedback into their design? Absolutely. Um, and uh, I, I would say that um, I start off by saying I, I think of all the things we, we tried a, a bunch of stuff, and I, and I definitely think the, re the remote design challenge was one of the more successful aspects of that since 
uh, obviously, we're, 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 we spent a lot of time talking so far about, about how you, you kind of in, bring the veterans' view into our work and, and how you let it inform the development of these processes and products that are going to be so important to their lives and their health care and their you know, financial health and all these other aspects. Um, using a design challenge that, that fundamentally asked a vendor to start with a conversation with a vendor and then build something you know, in, a, in a technically sound way based on that feedback from start to end, document the whole thing, tell us about it, and then give us the documentation was a very powerful uh, way to do that. Um, I think to really get into how it, how it specifically incorporated the feedback. Uh, so as, as Dave said, um, the, the, and again, there was no requirement, you know, suggested you certainly speak to a veteran, but I, I guess you could have tried to do it without. But obviously a vendor that was going to do well on this was, was not only going to talk to a vendor, talk, talk to them regularly and throughout the process uh, and, and do so well. So we, we obviously had a lot of uh, experts on the call. It's not like that just means you sit in the lobby and just chat with people. There's obviously kind of a science behind this is done well. Um, you, using the process we did, we were allowed to, uh, over the course of the couple of interactions that Dave described, kind of give them an opportunity to digest the challenge and talk to some veterans, come back to us on, on the next day and speak to an actual, you know, a fake product owner, but a real VA person that works in this area could, could have really spoken to uh, some of the requirements, testing assumptions and things like that, uh, which would be normal for that step of the development process. They then have the ability to take that information, go off for five days, design a, a prototype of, of, of uh, uh, whatever they decide to design, but usually a cookable prototype, develop the kind of standard uh, kind of proposed documentation process they would have used for it, and then show it to us. Uh, and that, again, really allowed us to see, the, have them tie back a conversation with a veteran and a need and a, a thing they wanted and how they wanted it to how that was then reflected in a design, what assumptions did they make, what trade-offs did they make, maybe that wouldn't work, but we did this, and here's why. And then see the end product, some kind of low tech, so there was no coding to this uh, required of anybody. No one was actually asked to write code. It was more about designing it, and there is something called the clickable prototype, which is kind of a low-fidelity type thing where they could show us the design, and it's clickable, but again, there's no code behind it. Um, so that was incredibly uh, powerful uh, to see, and and again to see that end-to-end -end process from the from the conversation with the veteran all the way through how that you know was taken into consideration and what they built. And the last thing I think, and we, we we put a huge emphasis on this was was accessibility, which I think Dave uh, and Jeff have both mentioned a little bit, but I, I did want to spend a second focusing on that. VA has an enormous population of veterans that that are accessibility challenged, and since we have to provide veterans. Uh, all veteran services, uh, regardless of their their status, it's very important that we we take the unique considerations of, of accessibility challenge veterans uh, into the into the work we do. And again, making sure part of part of that is making sure we have vendors that that do that well and also take that into consideration. And I and again, I think having that be mentioned in our solicitation and something they were asked to to consider. Again, ones that did really well on this really took that seriously. And, and it was not only kind of the basic level checkbox of yes, we did the required VA 508 checks uh, at the end of a project, but I think, you know, you saw some vendors really take it throughout the entire process and design products uh, almost end to end with accessibility in mind. And that was uh, a very powerful thing. And again, I think something that would have been much harder to evaluate under different circumstances. So the contract was awarded, I think, uh, back in March 2021. Has it been getting some traction, a lot of action on the contract to date? I mean, I, I think so. Uh, we certainly are up to uh, 
I, mean, I think six or seven task orders and and counting and and there's a few more in the pipeline so uh, yeah everything's rolling along pretty well so far so jeff um can would you be able to share with us maybe some success stories out of those six or seven task orders uh to date or any user stories that you're most proud of to date uh, that are directly benefiting our veterans yeah, sure. There's there's one that we're currently working on that is a uh, veteran check-in system that is, it, you know, in functionality in some ways similar to what was described as the as the code challenge, but a different a different uh, application. Uh, but this is a, a mobile-friendly experience that allows veterans to complete pre-appointment forms uh, at their home and then check in for their health appointments when they're at a medical center. Uh, the teams did extensive research with veterans to optimize the experience and specifically to reduce the stress and provide an intuitive interaction for check-in uh, that they can do at their own convenience. So it's currently being piloted in the St. Louis area and it's gonna begin uh, a nationwide rollout over the summer. Uh, so now St. Louis, uh, you know, the veteran, when they arrive for their appointment, they can check in through a text message on their mobile device and they get a link back and they can complete the check in there with a few simple prompts from their phone. Uh, and then they don't have to wait in line at a kiosk or talk to a staff member. They can start that check in process as soon as they're ready. Um, and it also integrates with other existing VA systems to let the staff know that the veteran has checked in. And so far, we've had uh, 2,000 successful check ins in the past month. And I think that this is just a good demonstration of how we can take. Uh, this type of interaction that's common in the private sector to make a small improvement to the veteran experience uh, with VA healthcare. And we can do that by piloting products and making sure that they're received well uh, before we make a big uh, commitment to that solution as, a, as an organization. Well, that's great. So uh, veterans that are listening out there can expect to hopefully see this uh, being rolled out uh, nationwide around the summer time frame, um, and it'll help with their, their check-in experience. Um, and I, I assume, you know, we often talk about like user-centered design and having uh, our user base test these things and stuff like that. After you've rolled it out nationwide, I'm sure you also have, you know, surveys and, and ways of tracking uh, satisfaction uh, with the overall veteran population as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we follow up uh, with, with all of our products uh, in this way. It sort of gets out of that traditional, uh, you know, development and then sustainment model. You know, when we build a product, we say, if you build it, you own it, you know. Um, so we we iterate on our products continuously once they're live and we we have application monitoring. We're, we're tracking the data. We're tracking user satisfaction. We're continuing to test that product after it's uh, live in production and continuing to sort of iterate and build additional new features in response to changing veteran needs or other other changing circumstances so that the, each product that we own has sort of a, a life of its own and, and a, 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 an existing user base that we want to make sure we're continuing to, to check in with and making sure they're still satisfied with that experience. Well, that's that's great. So I think our time is is almost up here for our uh, session of TAC Talks. So uh, I wanted to thank Jeff and Dave and Josh for uh, coming on to TAC Talks uh, Season 3 with me today. I know I found this super informative, this discussion on the CEDAR contract and um, all the cutting-edge acquisition approaches and techniques that you used on this contract to 
deliver cutting edge technology to our veterans. So I think it's a, a great success story and hopefully we'll see uh, more of this kind of innovation and this kind of niche contractor capabilities being deployed here throughout the uh, VA and other agencies. So thank you very much, guys, for, for joining me today. As always, we must remind you, the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast nor any media, products, or services that they may be providing. We thank you for listening to this episode of TAC Talks and hope you found it helpful as well as enjoyable. You may direct any questions or feedback to me, Chuck Ross, at charles.ross at va.gov. And remember, if you are passionate about government acquisition, are a continuous learner, and enjoy fruitful dialogue, then keep tuning in to TAC Talks.